Hey, Sam. Hey, Bev. Merry Christmas. Woo, not quite. Yeah, we're getting there. Not quite. It's a little early. <laughs> Although, I mean, I, the Christmas season or the holiday season, depending on how you celebrate, um, has begun. That's for yes. sure. Now that Thanksgiving is over. That is true. Mm-hmm. So what are you drinking over there? So I am drinking a Mad Tree Brewing Company Thunder Snow. Oh. I, uh, I picked it because it's snowing outside. That Woo-hoo. is thematic. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah, it says uh, it's cold outside, nice and toasty inside, stay warm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a spiced Scottish ale. Oh, it's, a, it's an eight and a half percenter. It's a little more Ooh. ABV than I was betting for today. <laughs> Good thing you don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> nope, because it is a Monday night. Mm-hmm. And dinner's already done because I made turkey noodle soup after Thanksgiving. And we have lots of turkey noodle soup leftovers. Oh, dang. So that's what everybody gets to eat for dinner tonight. Cheers to that. Yes. What are you drinking over there? I have a Roke Brewing Co. Ice Cream Man, which is a kettle sour ale. Mm. And it's actually a summer beverage. <laughs> um. <laughs> It has aromas of orange and vanilla leading into a slightly sweet tartness that is balanced and refreshing, and I would have to agree with the can. It is very delightful, but it sounded like a little dessert, so, and, you know, I like sour beers, um, and it's 5% alcohol by volume, so won't be getting as lit as Bev, (laughs) but it's not bad. Maybe this uh, high ABV will clear my throat out. Ooh, there you go. Mine too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I love sours. Sours are some of my favorite kind of beers. So I'm a little jealous mm-hmm. of your beer right now because Scottish ales aren't normally my thing, but yeah, it had snow on it. So I had to go for it. And this is my first Roke Brewing Company. So Roke is in Royal Oak, Michigan, mm. um, which is like a pretty fancy smancy suburb of Metro Detroit. So I haven't been there yet. Um, but I snagged this local brew up and, uh, it's making me want to take a visit. So yeah, you yeah. should do that. I love going and visiting local beer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but our drinks are sponsored this episode by Christine Sayani, um, AKA at homemade underscore confetti over on Instagram. So cheers. And thank you. Cheers, Christine. Woo-hoo. Thanks for sponsoring our beverages. Much appreciated. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, this is We Drink and We Farm Things. And I'm Sam. And I'm Bev. And this is a podcast where we drink and talk about farming things and sometimes food things. And we have discussions hoping to provide you new knowledge and entertainment. And sometimes we go off on tangents. Yeah, and uh, speaking of tangents, if you really like them, the BS is up on Patreon. We had a nice little uh, BS sesh before we recorded Yes, we did. And uh, it's it was pretty funny, I think. It started off with a bang. I'll just say that. So. <laughs> it's a good way to describe it. <laughs> and speaking of Patreon, you can check our Patreon out by either downloading the app or going to patreon.com slash drinkandfarm. Um, the BS is free for everyone, so you can go over there and check it out. But you can also support us starting at $2 a month. Um, and get some exclusive bonus content that way. Um, and it's a great way to support the podcast. 
That's right. And uh, don't forget to take our survey. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, but the survey, you can answer which questions you want to, which ones you don't. It helps us get new advertising sponsors. And you can also give us some totally anonymous feedback. And we take your feedback to heart. Yes, I woohoo significantly less during the regular podcast now. Because we got the some feedback. are on the BS. Yes. No, I just woohooed just a few minutes ago about snow. <laughs> Hmm. We've cut back on our woohooing, um, but I can't help that when I drink, I turn into a woo girl a little bit. So you know, that's just college sn- sneaking out. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but speaking of, uh, I don't know where I was going with that. College. <laughs> Join yeah. our Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you like ridiculousness, I'm kidding. Um, our Facebook group is actually pretty awesome. Uh, you can search We Drink and We Farm Things over on Facebook and our page and our group will pop up. But in the group, we have like really good discussions and people are starting to get more comfortable and share their winter setups and funny things that they find on the internet. So it's a great place for our little community to hang out and share some knowledge and make each other laugh. So go check that out. Yeah. And uh, also, don't forget to go to our website, wedrinkandwefarmthings.com, or you can type in drinkandfarm.com and go check out our shop, because we sell some merch, and our merch is shit Sam makes, and it's good shit Sam makes. Yeah. So buy that shit that Sam makes. It'll make good Christmas presents. Yeah. Even if it's for yourself, because come on. I mean, when I Christmas shop, I usually end up getting myself a little something something, so. (laughs) That's very true. So you can do the same. Oh, and make sure you uh, review us in all the places. We love reviews, um, especially over on Apple Podcasts. Um, that's the one I frequently check um, to see if you guys left us any fun feedback. Yep. We like reading your reviews. They're always so fun. And they make yes. our hearts nice and warm. They do. Warmer than this beer makes my heart. <laughs> that's true. That's fair. <laughs> it may be the most wonderful time of the year, but... Do you ever feel stumped when someone asks you what you want as a gift? Well, we have the perfect gift idea for you to share with your loved ones. Tell them to give you the gift of Henny and Rue. Why is Henny and Rue the perfect gift? Not only does it contain amazing first aid products and chicken treats for your flock, but there's always something fun for the chicken keeper in there too. The Henny and Roo subscription is a great way to build up your emergency kit inventory while discovering other great products too. So point your friends and family to HennyandRoo.com. You can do monthly or pre-buy three, six, and 12 month subscriptions. And if you can't wait and just want to treat yourself, go over to hennyandrew.com and snag the monthly subscription for yourself. And you can use code DRINKANDFARM at checkout to get 10% off your first box. So what kind of follow-up do we have this week? So we talked about um, not being a dick to people when they've had Hmm. to evacuate and leaving their animals behind last week. So I thought we should just talk about... If we had any plans, like for evacuation, if we ever had to leave our farms, I know we had actually scheduled to talk about that at the end of that episode, <laughs> but then we got really high IB, a, high ABV beers. <laughs> I was like, did we get high, Bob? What did I, I totally <laughs> forgot. <laughs> we did not get high, just got high alcohol. Yes. <laughs> Content beers. Yes. 
yes. Yeah. So have you thought about what you would do in the event that you had to leave your farm? Um, I feel like I would have to shove all my goats into one vehicle because I have five. So I feel like that's doable. I could just throw like all five goats in my Jeep and then... Um, obviously like my indoor animals like my dogs and Hamlet and the cat but everything else might have to stay behind unfortunately like I have like probably close to 70 chickens now there's no way I can take them all with me would I try to grab like little rooster boost probably would I feel bad like having a favorite and taking him probably but he's Mm -hmm. also super portable and friendly and wouldn't throw a bitch fit over it yeah um but i would like open the door and you know they're smart like they'd stay around if they could but they'd also know enough to run away if they needed to obviously like we saw in some of those articles we looked at um when we were talking about it last week so i probably just open everything else up to just give it like its best chance i guess depending on the situation yeah Luckily, being in the Midwest, we usually don't have like wildfires or hurricanes. But say there was like a tornado, I'd, if I if I had enough lead time, I'd absolutely go out to the barn and like try to bring as many animals in the house as I could. Yeah. <laughs> but you also have to like consider your own safety too. You know, I know we said evacuate, but any kind of natural disaster, any kind of flooding or anything like that, like it it can all happen so fast. So. It's kind of like, you know, I haven't given birth myself, but I imagine like having a birth plan, like every time I hear about that, it doesn't usually go as planned. Like you have your plan, but you know, your body and mother nature are going to do what it's going to do. Um, same thing with this, in my opinion, like you can only plan so much. Um, and we both like plans. (laughs) My anxiety is like, shut your mouth. You can only plan so much. (laughs) Um, but, but like, you know, things are going to happen. And so that would be my first instinct, I would say, is to try to just pack as many animals as I could. Um, but you just have to like take it situation by situation because no situation is going to be alike. So I'll stop rambling. (laughs) Your plan's going to be different depending on what the thing is that you're trying to evacuate from. Yeah, because I I hadn't thought of that. Like, it's funny. It's easy. Like, I live in the Midwest also, so it's easy to stand over here and be like, oh, well, we don't get hurricanes and wildfires while I'm surrounded by woods. So I suppose it could happen. But I wish I could describe to people who aren't here, like, just how wet it is. Like, yeah, it feels yeah. like the rainforest when you're in the forest here where uh-huh. I'm at. So a wildfire in this area is extremely unlikely. That's not to say that the climate won't change here. And 10 years from now, it won't be dry and brittle. Um, so it is smart to kind of think about what you would do. And yeah, I have to agree with you, Sam. I think I would do the same thing. The goats would get shoved into a car we have enough dog crates for all of the goats um, to pair up. So I would have the four smallest ones paired together in two crates. And then the big one, um, Darby is a, she's a Nigerian dwarf goat also, but she seems to be at least 25% bigger than the other goats. Oh, but dang. she's Yeah, she's not registered. So she might have like some latent... I don't know, something else, you know, that like wouldn't have conformed to um, Nigerian dwarf goat goat standards. And that might be Mm -hmm. why she's not a registered goat. Um, So she would have to go in a dog crate by herself because my dog crates, I bought them the right size that they can all fit into the back of my Subaru together all lined up. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Like just in case I need to take animals to the vet or anything. Um, Cause I do use them for the dogs and I have used them for the goats before. So that is what my plan would be. Cause I'd be afraid of them jumping around all over me while I was trying to drive. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> but that's only because I happen to have three crates that I can say that. <laughs> like, I wouldn't go on Amazon right now and rush out and buy three, you know, $50 crates. Because if you don't need right. them, like, you don't need them. Um, and uh, obviously the dogs would come too. And while we only have 11 chickens, I can't imagine a situation in where I could talk 11 chickens into being <laughs> in the car. Yeah. Especially with my goats and my dogs. So I think that, unfortunately, I would have to let the chickens go also. Like, yeah. I, would just, I would just open their pop door and I would open their run so that they could go back and forth if they needed to and if they could still stay there. And then they would move along if they couldn't stay there anymore. Mm-hmm. Or they'd fly up on the roof of the barn because I don't clip my, my uh, chickens' wings. So they oh, could yeah, totally get up there. And then they'd be up there and be semi-safe for a little while until, you know, whatever it was passed. If right. it was fire, I guess. Yeah. Not if it was a tornado, though. If it was a tornado, they would not be safe up there. But if, if we had a tornado warning come along, I actually have thought through this plan. We have a giant basement, so everyone would just come down into the basement. Yeah. I'd grab the dog crates and bring them down. What's most likely is the dogs would go in the dog crates and the farm animals would wander <laughs> the basement. Because otherwise, yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> it just, like, wouldn't work out very well here. <laughs> Yeah, no, we, uh, I would do the same thing, our basement too, just well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, everybody would just go downstairs, and I feel like I just wouldn't care if they, like, peed and pooped everywhere, because <laughs> shit gets real, and then yeah, you no. realize what's important and what can be cleaned up later, so. Yeah, you just gotta clean that shit later. I mean, my basement is all cement, so I don't have to be worried about it. It's not a very comfortable place to hang out in, though. <laughs> That's yes. for sure. Yeah, most of mine is, too, and the, and the other half is carpet, but it's like, yeah, I want to rip the carpet up anyways, so. <laughs> <laughs> so you, like, pee over there, yes, goats and chickens. It's fine. <laughs> Someday, I want to just put all 70 of your chickens inside your basement. Oh, that would be fun. That would be really fun if we were drunk and did that and there was no natural disaster. Uh, Yeah, that would definitely make it more fun if it wasn't for realsies. Could you imagine? No, no, no. Here's the thing. We could could say, one, it's for the podcast. Two, emergency preparedness drill. And then our husbands can just watch us and laugh. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if your husband would be laughing. He'd be like, this is our basement. (laughs) <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. We use humor as our defense mechanism when talking <laughs> yes. about something scary. This doesn't mean that we don't take um, evacuating seriously or right. emergency preparedness seriously. <laughs> We're just making light of the situation because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. yeah. So... Mm. Um, and I have to second your opinion about birth plans, just like, you know, being a nice thing to have mm-hmm. thought through beforehand. They never go as planned. I've had two of those. <laughs> <laughs> so my assumption is correct. <laughs> your assumption is 100% correct. <laughs> but uh, while we were doing some research on this, when we were talking about the campfire last week, um, we came across a Facebook group called Cowboy 911, 
And we'll put a link to it in the show notes in case you feel so inclined to join it so that you can read up on it and see if it's something that you'd be interested in. But it's got about 20,000 members now. And what it's for is if you have an emergency of any kind um, and you need help at your farm, you can submit a support ticket to Cowboy 911 and they'll send volunteers out uh, to come and help your animals, like in the event of you're in a car accident and get taken straight to the hospital and can't go back to your farm and feed your chickens and, you know, like move your goats back in the barn or whatever. Or, you know, something like a large scale natural disaster like the campfire was. They've been sending volunteers in there to feed people's cats and dogs and try to trap animals that are no longer in safe situations, like if the house burned down. Mm. So you can join that group if you feel so inclined. And you can even uh, sign up as a volunteer to go and help fellow farmers or hobby farmers uh, that might end up in that situation as well it'd be a good way to give back to the farming community at large so yeah no I think that's awesome and kind of restores faith in humanity a little bit yeah it really does I'll find that video that we watched last week when you were like I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> when I sent you the cowboy 911 volunteer breaking yeah. into the house so that she could feed the cats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it was really sweet. I'll find that video and link to it. But um, they've been a they've been a saving grace uh, over there in California over the last couple of weeks, helping um, people who had to evacuate without their animals have some peace of mind, knowing that their animals are still getting fed or Mm -hmm. being trapped and brought to them, like if their house got burned to the ground and they can't live inside anymore. But there are still a few houses in the area that have stayed up and the animals have been able to stay home because the volunteers have been just going and feeding them. So cool. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, oh, I finally planted my garlic. Yay! Congratulations! Thanks! I feel like that was a really (laughs) long time coming. (laughs) I'd like to thank my high school math teacher and... (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) No, but seriously, uh, I've seen some conversations in the group, people worried that it's too late to plant garlic. And um, I want—I just wanted to let everybody know that from what I've understood from doing my research on garlic, as long as you can still work the soil, your garlic can still go in. Sort of like tulip bulbs are the same way or other type of bulb flowers. Just as long as the soil is not frozen solid, they can still go in. Because what you're trying to do is get them to establish some roots before the ground freezes solid. And then come spring, they'll wake back up. Their roots will continue growing and then they'll shoot up you know all of their plant shoots and whatnot garlic scapes specifically for garlic but they do better though if you've given them time to be in the ground before it freezes so like I know Lisa Steele in Maine she tries to get hers in before Thanksgiving I'm really far south from Maine and I got mine in the week before Thanksgiving so I felt pretty good about that timing so if you're further south from me in southern Ohio you still have plenty of time because my ground is not even close to being frozen solid and it's snowing right now so yeah tis the season tis the season (laughs) Um, but my husband thought it was really weird that I kept talking about how we weren't gonna have prisoner teeth peeled garlic this (laughs) next year he's like what are you talking about (laughs) I have enlighten some people at work about that actually have so you? it was very impactful to watch 
Yeah, it really was. And it's so funny that that was one of the ones that we uh, assigned a little later. So I can't remember what I named that episode. I'll try to link to it in the show notes. I'll look it up and link to it in the show notes. I can't remember what episode number it was either. It was a while. It it was a while ago. And that's how long it took me to get my garlic in the ground. (laughs) (sighs) Well, Sam didn't put any garlic in the ground, but she has evolved to the point of buying the actual like bulbs and not like the pre-mint stuff. Because the pre-mint stuff is what is like yucky prisoner garlic, allegedly. So I just buy like made in the USA bulbs these days. And the quality is much better. I will have to agree with you. Yeah, it does. It tastes much better, right? Yeah, I made something the other day that required 12 cloves of garlic. (laughs) What did you make? I want to eat that. (laughs) <laughs> it, I'll, I'll have to send you the recipe you can link it to the show notes too it's i found it on pinterest because that's where i find all my recipes it was like a creamy garlic chicken so it's oh, very like so good low carb but there's like a shit ton of butter in it too mm. it's pretty good yes yes i'll have to send that to you yeah that sounds like something i would love chicken and butter and all of the garlic on the planet <laughs> oh yeah and then I actually like pre-made dinner so my husband could just put it in the oven before we recorded. Nice. And that has a lot of garlic in it too and butter and it's like tilapia and then there's a sauce on top of it that's like mayo and sour cream and what else? And Parmesan cheese and oh. So I just like tasted the sauce before I like put tinfoil over it and put it in the fridge and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and now that we've talked about food and we're starving. <laughs> and drinking high ABV beer. <laughs> yeah. So he was making it when I went out to grab my beer. So nice. hopefully he keeps it warm. Oh, but before I get, I want to give a shout out to Larry Wright in our group. Um, for showing off his rabbit water setup for the winter. And, of course, all of his Miller lights that were, you know, in sh- in frame. Yes, um, much cheers appreciated. to that. Yes, cheers <laughs> to that indeed. Sam was lazy and just bought, like, the $25 um, Walmart or TSC or wherever. You can get it on Amazon. Like, there's these heated water bottle things. And you just, like, plug them in. And I've just been using that because I am not nearly as... Uh, fancy as Larry is over there but I liked his videos because it was really cool because I appreciated that he talked through the trial and error efforts as he was explaining how it worked because it showed I didn't just think of this and it worked the first time I did it I liked that he gave us his trial and error so like we wouldn't attempt to do it the way that already failed for him and it shows that Sometimes it's okay not to get it right on the first time and you just crack open another Miller Lite and you make it work. So cheers, Larry. That was very cool. And thanks for sharing. Yes. Cheers, Larry. Thanks for sharing. And there will be a link to join our Facebook group if you want to see his videos. Unfortunately, if you're not a member, I won't be able to link to them. So Mm -hmm. that way you can join us, check them out, and then see if you want to stay. Heck yeah. Oh, the weather outside might be frightful, but the mites and lice are probably snug as a bug in your coop and barn. That is, unless you're already using First Saturday Lime. That's right. First Saturday Lime is an organic, safe, and effective pest barrier that keeps bugs at bay. 
and can help put a stop to the stink in your barms and croups. And it also helps prevent algae growth in water. And first Saturday lime isn't just for the farm. You can use it on the perimeter of your home to keep the nasty little buggers from creepy crawling into your house. No spiders allowed. (laughs) (laughs) And we use this product on our farms and we can't live without it now. So if you go to firstsaturdaylime.com, you can use code DRINK at checkout and you'll get 10% off of your order. And are you confused about what the heck First Saturday Lime is? Make sure and check out our mini-sode with Jessica from First Saturday Lime. The episode is called Drink and Lime and we promise you won't be disappointed. Jessica is hilarious and you'll love learning about lime while having a few laughs. Yes, indeed. (laughs) So it's time to get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. Ah, yes. Meat and potatoes. Or just potatoes and potatoes if you're a vegetarian. Yeah. Uh, Or vegan. Vegans eat potatoes, right? Yes. God, I'd be so sad if I couldn't eat potatoes. (laughs) Potatoes are delicious. At least once in a while. (laughs) Yeah. So we talk about food a lot on this podcast we talk about food a lot more than i think either of us realized we would talk about food absolutely yeah Yeah. i didn't know yeah you agree with that yeah i absolutely and it this that was not the intent of us starting this podcast but it actually makes sense since a lot of the good quote-unquote like good healthy food comes from farms right that's true that totally makes sense so unless you are an ostrich that's had your head in the sand (laughs) or you live under the ocean you've heard that we have another romaine lettuce uh recall yeah (laughs) and so we just thought it would be interesting to talk about how like a cdc recall of the scale could affect a small farmer Mm -hmm. um because of course like we all don't get to grow everything that we eat obviously like i all i'm growing right now is bib lettuce and some kale and some carrots. That's all I have left right now. And garlic. <laughs> and garlic, but I can't eat that for another like eight months easily. So yeah. <laughs> I'm still pretty far out from that. I still got to keep buying garlic at the store until Touché. then. And so a lot of our food ends up coming um, from farms that are in different parts of the country where they can still grow things. Like nobody's growing romaine here unless they've got heat lamps in a greenhouse in my area anyways. There was a recall on it. And usually when the CDC and the FDA issue a recall, they wait until they have more information about the product and like location for where it came from and its Mm -hmm. path through our food system. But they didn't do that this time. They just told everyone to remove all romaine lettuce from consumption, like throw it away without having any information on where it came from, which is super weird. It feels like unusual. I feel like. One of two things happened. One, they're so focused on cell-based meat right now, they can't (laughs) focus on anything else. Two, uh, they're like, screw this. It's almost Thanksgiving. Let's just tell them not to eat any of it. So, you know. (laughs) I mean, that's totally a possibility. Um, It's probably not either of those things, but in my brain that makes the most sense because doing a blanket statement like that or generalization is just foolish, in my opinion. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, there really haven't been that many instances of sickness so far. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. they caught it early. You know, now as soon as E. coli is found at a hospital, you know, somebody has it, 
they probably start digging into immediately what could have caused it. And right. everybody's buying those bagged salads and stuff nowadays. Like I love clamshell things, even though they go bad so fast. Like I basically have a on my checklist for the week, buy clamshell of arugula, throw away full clamshell of arugula at the end of the week because <laughs> I forgot to eat it and it went bad really fast. Yeah, I definitely get like the bagged salad stuff or like the I actually prefer the boxes of spinach yeah like the clear plastic bins because it keeps longer well that's what i'm talking about like the yeah oh yeah. okay that's exactly what i buy too. okay yeah <laughs> i called it a clamshell i, <laughs> I thought by why. clamshell you meant like like the fresh stuff that is like bundled oh elsewhere. no but that i just put in my reusable like holy bags because i don't like to pull down the plastic oh. bags and yeah and those go bad really fast because i forget to put them in something when i get home <laughs> And then they dry out. So clamshell equals plastic container. Got it. Yes. At least in my brain it does. And now it does in mine. Cheers. There we go. <laughs> cheers to that. I'm going to start saying cheers instead of woohoo. Oh, I like that. I think people okay. will like that too. We'll find out on our survey. There we go. <laughs> now back from this commercial break. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tangents. Um. Well, yeah, and I thought it was really interesting, too. I kept seeing, like, people, quote-unquote, like, check-in. You know how Facebook does, like, the check-in at disasters? Like, oh, I checked in that I'm safe from romaine lettuce. Like, ha-ha-ha-ha. I almost did that just because I thought that that was really hilarious. <laughs> we should have done that in the group, but we didn't. Uh, fail. Maybe fail. We'll do it when we get done recording. They haven't heard <laughs> this yet, so they don't know. <laughs> so... Uh, It looks like in some of the articles that um, we researched, it was only like 11 states that had an outbreak, which 11 out of 50, you know, is a pretty big deal. That's like 20%. Yeah. Plus Canada. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that there were only a handful of people that got sick in a couple states and then they just shut it down for everything, which you can kind of see both sides of it. You just say... Throw it all out until we can figure out who the culprit is. Or you say, oh, you know, you might risk it to eat your romaine and be healthy because we ha- we haven't figured out, like, root cause yet. So I think I can appreciate, like, them putting the time out on eating the romaine, especially so close to the holidays and people are getting together. And, I mean, I didn't eat salad on Thanksgiving, but maybe some other people did. So. I did. I ate a salad on Thanksgiving because my sister-in-law made it. <laughs> mm, but there wasn't romaine and there wasn't. There was not romaine in that lettuce. Uh. No, there was not. But, so, one of the issues with their, like, blanket throw all of the romaine away is that, like, a small local farm somewhere where romaine is still growing uh, they're going to have customers just like pass over that perfectly safe romaine lettuce because, you know, they grew it in their farm and then they picked it and rinsed it and brought it to the farmer's market. So it doesn't have mm-hmm. this like complicated supply chain that all of our grocery store clamshell, you know, spring mixes and salad mixes and whatnot have. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And it's like, unless you understand where your food comes from and the process behind it, you don't necessarily realize that actually that small family farm is the best place to buy it from right now. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Um, And it was really interesting to me that um, small farmers were saying that, yeah, customers tend to pass over like whatever the most recent contaminated crop is in the news. 
like as if every romaine or melon or spinach i mean we've had a lot of recalls recently over the last year um Mm -hmm. has suddenly like become toxic regardless of where it came from um because i i'm wondering if maybe people just don't understand that that's how the food like supply chain works um i also kind of wonder in my very cynical brain if we are all just so brainwashed by the media that it affects us more than we think so bear with me Okay. I was getting ready to retort. (laughs) You're scrolling Facebook. You're scrolling Facebook. And you see all these, ha ha, romaine lettuce. Because it was like clogging up my freaking news feed. Like no other. Um, Probably because I have a ridiculous amount of friends that I just need to go through and delete. (laughs) Um, But there was just so many. And it's like almost subconsciously you start just in the back of your brain processing the whole thing. So you start associating with romaine with just bad. So anytime you see romaine, you go, Ugh! you know, or spinach. Cause that's, you know, been affected too. Or, you know, for a while it was some kind of beef or whatever you just in your brain. It makes you like second guess. So if you're not really conscious of food and the processes, you might fall victim to that just snap reaction of, oh, just not going to eat it at all right now. Well, because we always repeat to ourselves, better safe than sorry, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But like that attitude when it comes to fresh food that we buy from local farmers can really have a detrimental effect on their businesses because, you know, they operate on such a small profit margin. If you know, romaine lettuce is one of the only things that they have left growing because it is sort of a colder, hardier lettuce. So mm-hmm. it's something that'll last further into a growing season than say like a like a leaf lettuce, you know, something that or like mm-hmm. a spring mix, something that's a little lighter. You might have just like made it so that all of that work that they that they did for months growing that crop is just literally being washed down the toilet. Oh, it's just so sad. Yeah, it really is sad. So that was why why we wanted to talk about it uh, today, just in case you hadn't put that idea together, that the romaine lettuce that we get from the grocery store doesn't have the same origins as like a local head of romaine lettuce that you can get at your farmer's market or if you... Uh, use like a CSA crate, which I highly recommend CSAs. That's a great way to support a small local farm. I don't know. What is what is a CSA? Oh, so CSA is community supported agriculture. You usually prepay oh. for the whole season. So um, like I, I haven't seen any around here where I live, but I live in like a larger farming community and a lot of people garden. Okay. You pay ahead of time and it's usually a set price for the whole season of like crates or boxes of food and they can't promise what's going to be in each one because it just kind of depends on how the year goes um but they usually try to make it pretty fair and depending on how many families get into it that can kind of help drive the price you know per a thing down because if they know that they have support from this many people they know that they'll have less um fruits and vegetables around going bad and not being used Okay. So, um, yeah, it's usually pretty hefty up front because you're paying for the whole season of fruits and vegetables. And then every week you get to pick up a crate. You never know what's going to be in it. You have to be a little flexible. Mm, mm -hmm. So you have to have time to prepare meals 
and look up recipes and sometimes you have to be a little adventurous but yeah um dirty knees farm did a csa this last uh season so you can go through her instagram feed and see like the things that she put in her csa crate and i think that she has some posts like in the early parts of the season about how it was going to work and whatnot that's so cool yeah uh and i totally lost my train of thought on what i was going to say sorry i distracted you with a question no i had lost my train of thought before that so I just, I was monologuing, and then I forgot what I was monologuing about. Oh, it's all good. Yeah. So, moral of the story, the CDC and FDA can come out and say, throw it all away! But there might be different, you know, avenues where you can still get access to that vegetable or meat or whatever that has nothing to do with that supply chain and how it's, you know, packaged and sent to the big stores. So... Oh, I remembered what I was going to talk about. Oh, yes. So uh, some of the more recent news articles are suggesting that the outbreak likely started in California, um, which makes sense because their farmers are probably still pulling in loads of romaine because it's not cold there yet. Yeah. And the states that were affected included California, which had the largest instances of sickness so far. Oh, that makes sense. And then oddly enough, well, I guess it's really not that odd when you hear the list of other states. It's Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, New York, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey, Maryland, and Wisconsin. All (laughs) places that are probably not growing romaine anymore. Yeah. Yep. Midwest, East Coast. Yep. (laughs) So there you have it. There you have it. It's so funny because when the alert came up on my phone, I got a little excited because I knew we could talk about it on the podcast. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> I know, because it made people sick. But at the same time, I'm like, yes, content. <laughs> Sam gets to rage. <laughs> rage about our food supply. <laughs> it's sick what I get excited about these days. So we have another doozy to talk about. Thanks to Bev digging deep into the comments on our Facebook group. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Samantha Morissette uh, linked to this article in response to a question that a group member had about a hen acting aggressively. And what we're going to talk about is spontaneous sex reversal in chickens. It's so crazy. I didn't know this was a thing until I was looking at the show notes and I was like, what the F? (laughs) Yeah. So apparently what seems to happen is, um, I mean, chicken keepers might not notice it until they hear crowing and they realize, what? I I don't own any (laughs) roosters. Like, how could this be? So bizarre. But your chicken can indeed undergo a spontaneous sex reversal and become a rooster. It's it's pretty rare, though. So let's not freak you out like at the very beginning. But we'll tell you how it works because right. chicken biology, I find to be pretty fascinating. Right. Yeah, this is really bizarre. And I'm under the impression that it's pretty rare. Um, it's not something that happens in every, every flock. But it, you know, it, it's a possibility that this might be one of the reasons why somebody's having a, a hen that used to be very docile and loving turn into just kind of an asshole. But there are some other things that we would do to dig into 
why that hen is being rude. Um, it might not be like spontaneous sex reversal. It's it might probably just be, not that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it might just be that she started laying and she's got a lot of feelings about it. Or maybe there aren't any roosters in that flock and it's just the dominant hen doing what she wants because she was the first one to lay an egg. So we're not saying that this is what is happening in anybody's flock, but it's just kind of a fun, bizarre thing. Yeah, it's like a it's like a did you know chicken edition. Yeah. <laughs> so how does this work exactly? So a hen is born with two ovaries, uh, just like a female human is, um, sort of. It's a little different. The left ovary in the hen grows and develops. And uh, that is the ovary that produces all of the estrogen that is necessary to regulate the production of, I'm going to butcher this word, it's called oocytes in chickens, Um, but I think it's known as ova in humans. I'm not a biologist, so biologist people, you guys can crack up at me and tell me how wrong (laughs) I am about some of this later, but this is like the sort of dumbed down uh, layman's version of chicken we'll biology. We'll call it like four dummies. <laughs> there we because go. Because it's four salmon bows. <laughs> four drunkies. No, I don't want to call us drunkies because that's not right either. <laughs> four drunky pants. Yeah, you know, I'm. I haven't eaten in a while, so this beer is kind of make me feel a little buzzed. So oh, it's well, there we go. A little accurate, but anyways, I digress. Uh, so basically, yeah, that's the ovary that releases the estrogen into like the oviduct tract, um, which basically tells a hen that they're supposed to lay eggs. Okay. And the right ovary in a hen doesn't really develop as they grow up. It's um, it's called a gonad sex organ. And I had to kind of look up what that meant. That's like the, it's an organ before it's taken on any like male or female characteristics, essentially. Okay. All right. Yeah. So it's basically dormant. It doesn't do anything um, as the right ovary once the left one is four hens is the female version of of the ovary. That yeah. No, you get it. So is that like the spleen in a human? Mm-hmm. The spleen doesn't really do anything, right? Or is that like the pancreas? <laughs> I can't remember. We have an organ that doesn't really do shit in our body, except when it gets angry, it's bad. So that kind of reminds me of this. Uh, are you talking about... Oh, my brain isn't <laughs> going to remember now that we're trying to think of it. People have surgery on it to just have it removed all the time anytime it's inflamed. Appendix. Appendix, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess kind of, because it does remain small and dormant, and it doesn't develop. So, yeah, it basically does nothing. Uh, yeah, for now, it does nothing. That's fair. Um, okay. But the spontaneous sex reversal occurs um, in a hen when her left ovary becomes damaged or fails to produce the necessary levels of estrogen that are needed for it to remain a hen and lay eggs. Um, because okay. the hen's left ovary is the only organ in her body that produces estrogen. Without it functioning properly, the estrogen levels drop so low that she can't lay eggs anymore. And Aww. then the testosterone levels start to rise. Interesting. Yeah. And so once her testosterone levels start to rise, she actually starts to physically transform to take on male characteristics. Which means that she might crow, she'll grow a larger comb, she'll have longer waddles, 
and her plumage even can start to develop into like male pattern plumage and she can even grow spurs which is crazy oh yeah yeah and of course she'll adopt the more aggressive uh, rooster behaviors um not that all roosters are are aggressive but she can develop them i guess i should say i shouldn't say that she will she could and like you might be thinking to yourself that all of those things don't necessarily like make her in fact a rooster like could that just make her a really butch hen <laughs> which i kind of hate saying that feels like i'm being like kind of sexist but that's totally not how i mean it <laughs> It was just supposed to be it, funny. It came out weird. It's like a stereotype. <laughs> yeah, it's a stereotype. Stereotypes. People don't like stereotypes. But yeah, no, it it it's crazy to me because it's like, it's just, ugh, chicken biology. My mind is just blown. <laughs> well, like I said, it's totally fascinating. So when I like actually read through this, I was like, we have to talk about this because I had no idea that this was a thing either. So basically what happens is, um, when her left ovary failed and sufficient testosterone levels are reached, then her dormant right side becomes activated. And when that switches on, that's it, it develops into a male sex organ, which is called the ovatestes. And ovatestes will actually produce sperm. So your hen doesn't just become a hen that acts like a rooster. Your hen actually can become a rooster because it can actually mate with your other hens, mm. which is nuts, right? So is this like when a woman goes through menopause? No, not then, anything like that. And then, But then she might be like growing facial hair because she has more testosterone. So, I mean, I would hesitate to compare <laughs> that because like it's not the same whatsoever. Like the hen is actually not only taking on the physical characteristics of becoming a rooster, but can actually perform like a rooster's sexual duties which is why it's spontaneous sex reversal okay because like it actually is changing into the opposite sex okay yeah that makes sense like physically in every way like biologically chemically everything I think my brain is just trying to wrap its way like around this concept and I'm trying to draw like patterns. <laughs> yeah, or like find something that you can compare it to. Yeah, but you can't. <laughs> no, you really can't. And in fact, so, you know, like your automatic response would be like, well, because we know how humans work and you can't necessarily reproduce once you have like the other sexual characteristics but that's not Mm -hmm. true for chickens apparently there has there is at least one account of a sex reverse hen fathering chicks whoa um but i couldn't find the story so according to this article there's one i couldn't find it Um, are we sure this isn't just like a tabloid that you pulled this from (laughs) no i think i pulled it from like countryside something Oh, yeah, that's right. I did see that. Yeah. Um, I pulled it from Countryside Network. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, and there's a whole nother podcast all about it where they talk to, like, a real expert in chicken biology. What? Um, it's a, it's a episode 18 of the Coopcast. So I'll link to that in the show notes, too. So if you want to hear, like, a real scientist explain it, you can listen to ours, laugh your asses off, and then go <laughs> listen to, like, how it really works. <laughs> 
Yeah, you can listen to Sam have her mind blown while she drinks the beer. Yeah. <laughs> and try to draw, like, really bad conclusions. Or you can hear a professional. Yeah. So um, in very rare cases, roosters can become hens as well. Mm. But it's so rare that it's really not fully understood. And there haven't really been any, like, studies done on it. So, like, the idea that it even happens is still kind of hotly debated in the chicken... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. I don't want to call it chicken keeping worlds because like I didn't know that this was a thing. Just like I'm hoping some of our listeners didn't know it was a thing also. Otherwise, they're just laughing at us. They're like, how did you not know that this was a thing? (laughs) Well, I can like at a very high level based on the information that you just gave me. um, I can understand why it might be more complex for it to happen in reverse with a rooster going to a hen. Oh, okay. Um, Because it's just like. It's easier for something to, like, stop working in my brain. Not that my brain's not working. It's easier in my brain to wrap around that a hen's, like, ovary would stop working, therefore producing more testosterone, than to think from a rooster having those organs and then all of a sudden it just, like, turning on, if that makes sense. Well, so... Okay, so this might be totally wrong. I'll have to correct myself next week (laughs) if this is wrong. But from what I could understand is that, um, so here, this actually brings me to my next little section. So what's extra fascinating about chicken biology is that it turns out every cell in a chicken's body is able to have a male or female identity. Ding. Yeah, so I believe that even roosters are born with both ovaries but they're gonads essentially and then the right one is what turns on for a rooster because the left one is what turns on for a hen so from my very simple understanding of biology that's what I think happens so that's why it seems just as likely that it could go the other way Um, but from what I'm understanding it doesn't happen as often or at least there's not as many like recorded accounts of it happening Maybe it's just because males are more stubborn. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I'm a pretty <laughs> stubborn female. so I am too. <laughs> I don't know about that. So yeah, like in, in mammals, like your physical sex is determined by like testicles and ovaries and the hormones that they produce. And when embryos are developing, they don't actually get their sex organs until like their gonads turn into either like testicles or you know not to like get too gross into human biology because it's not really what this podcast is about but we're all adults right so I mean I kind of giggle giggled inwardly every time you said gonads but (laughs) yes I'm an adult (laughs) fair enough Uh. (laughs) but in chickens so like they're, they did these studies, and I'll link to this article in the show notes. They did these studies on these chickens that show properties of both roosters and hens, and they refer to them as gynandomorphs. Um, and so what mm-hmm. happens in birds is rather than just having one organ that can carry either like, you know, like the XY or the XX chromosomes, um, birds have Z and W chromosomes, and males are ZZ and females are ZW. But gynandromorphs have a mix of ZZ and ZW cells. So basically, like every organ in a chicken's body can either be ZZ or ZZ, ZW. And in these gynandromorphs, like they have 
ZZ here and ZW there and ZZ here and yeah. So that's what makes them like a mix of both. So that's why they can switch so easily because all of their cells have like the characteristics or have the ability to be either. Because like you say gynandromorphs, gynandromorphs, Mm -hmm. there we go. Okay. Because I think hermaphrodite. Um, I mean, kind of, I guess if you... Same but different? Same, well, I mean, yeah, it's a chicken that has both male and female characteristics on a biological level. Okay. So yeah. I draw, I drew a kind of correct conclusion about yeah. one thing. Um, but like, <laughs> I feel like hermaphrodites, like, that is only talking about like the sex organs. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah. like when you're talking about a chicken, it's they they have different characteristics all over the place you know like the larger comb and the larger waddles and the feathers Uh. and the spurs so these gyandromorphs might have a rooster's saddle feathers but a hen's comb and waddles oh yeah okay that makes more sense and also something else like since you mentioned like the word hermaphrodite normally um, when that occurs in humans they aren't able to sexually reproduce because they don't have all the proper hormone balances available to perform those those functions. You know, they can't, they don't have, they might not necessarily have a womb, so they might not be able to carry babies, right. or they might not actually have testicles. They might not be able to create sperm. Um, I mean, every instance is probably different. But in a chicken, it's really not the case, because they both have a vent, and they both carry the uh. both ovaries. So, like, their system is just so much simpler than a human being's, but yeah. yeah. For sure. But crazy talk over here. (laughs) My head hurts now. (laughs) It's like you just blew up my whole world. (laughs) Mission accomplished. Right? (laughs) So thank you, Samantha, for sharing that on the or in the group and providing such I didn't want to just say titillating but that just seems like the wrong word no that's the right word I mean it's titillating conversation for yeah the podcast. right <laughs> I mean and I don't know maybe people will want to discuss this with us maybe maybe I totally misunderstood everything and that's all right I'll correct myself next week if I did I'm happy to do that yeah, so tell us if we were wrong or if Sam was drawing, like, really inaccurate conclusions. Like, that's fine. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, you guys. Yeah, um, and this is We Drink and We Farm Things, and I'm Sam. And I'm Bev. And make sure you go over to Instagram and follow us at Drink and Farm. And you can use hashtag Drink and Farm to showcase your very safe drinking and farming and We like to share one to two of those a week over on our profile to give you a little shout out. So go do that. Yes. So drink. Farm. And and give give zero zero clucks. clucks. Bye, guys. Goodbye.